Arevces, Urachem Vord Miatzelek Mirzagrin, Yes Aspet Tavit Mizorianem, Tif Meg Ararat Talijit. Hello and welcome to Talking Vartan, the Knights and Daughters of Vartan podcast. I'm Aspet David Mizorian of Ararat Lodge Number One in Boston. It's been nearly four weeks since fighting erupted in Artsakh, the resumption of a conflict involving Armenians and Azerbaijanis dating back more than 30 years. A conflict that, as of this production, is showing no signs of coming to an end. Hundreds of soldiers and civilians have been killed, with many thousands more injured and homeless. Artsakh is a region that is very familiar and dear to those of us in the Knights and Daughters of Vartan. Many of our members, perhaps you yourself, have relatives and friends who call Artsakh, also known as Nagorno-Karabakh, home. Perhaps you've been fortunate enough to see Artsakh yourself, to marvel at its landscape and fall in love with its people. My own parents journeyed there many times over the years, and had there been no COVID virus this year, many of us in the Knights and Daughters of Vartan, myself included, would have been in Artsakh just one month ago as part of Veratats Haidenik, only days before the onset of hostilities. It has not been an easy war to follow, especially if you are relying on non-Armenian media sources here in the United States for information. On this edition of Talking Vartan, we'll examine the challenges of reporting the Artsakh war, both from the battlefront as well as the home front. I'll talk with my brother from Ardadat Lodge, Aram Arkun, assistant editor of the Armenian Mira Spectator, about the importance of getting the story and getting it right, separating facts from fiction. Later, I'll update you on the fundraising activities of the Knights and Daughters of Vartan as we continue our efforts to help the people of Artsakh, and I'll let you know how you can help. But first, an eyewitness account of the situation on the ground in Artsakh by a dear friend of the Knights and Daughters of Vartan. Father Aram Mirzorian is the pastor of St. Hovanes Armenian Church in the Tavush province city of Bert. He is not only a spiritual leader, but a revered community leader. This week, he is in Artsakh, helping to care for its suffering population and delivering needed essentials to help ensure their survival. He last joined us on this podcast during the bombing in Tavush province by the Azeris this past July. This time, as in July, translating his words into English was our communications liaison, Kohar Palyan, who joined us from Yerevan. For his safety and for the safety of those around him, I will only say that Father Aram spoke to me from somewhere in Artsakh. What is your reason for being in Artsakh now? To me, this is patriotic war. This is for our homeland, to protect our homeland. And as a man in my country, as the citizen, I'm here to protect my country from the enemy. Was it difficult for you to reach Artsakh? Kanivor <laughs> 
Our aim is noble, and although the road was not easy, it was dangerous, and the enemy is shooting also to peaceful population, to the village, on the villages, but still we had, because we have our noble aim, we went all the way to Artsakh despite the dangerous road. Do you hear artillery fire? Do you hear gunfire all the time? Are there, are there any points where it becomes quiet? Most of the time they are shooting. Very intensive shooting is taking place. As we know, um, it's not just Azerbaijani's army fighting against that, but also Turkish. And also they have mercenaries, as, as we know, Syrian terrorists are in that area as well. Mercenaries, you uh, said? Yes. Okay. Azerbaijan-Azerbaijan-Azerbaijan-Azerbaijan-Azerbaijan-Azerbaijan-Azerbaijan-Azerbaijan-Azerbaijan-Azerbaijan-Azerbaijan-Azerbaijan-Azerb
not just armies are fighting against, against each other, but uh, enemy is aiming in shelling our infrastructures, including schools, hospitals in Sepanagir, St. Uh, Holy Hazanjas Church, they shelled twice. And today, people became army. The entire nation is like an army. They are fighting all together to prevent genocide in 21st century. The enemy shelled a hospital in Martakert and other infrastructures like school and the church in Shushi. Have you had a chance to visit that church since you arrived? Have you seen it yourself? Second day after our arrival, we visited Vajanzeta Church and uh, we prayed there and we understand that enemy can shoot on our churches, but they cannot destroy our faith. Speaking of your spirit, Der Aram, you're obviously in a very dangerous place right now. Are you afraid? Only stupid people may not afraid because it's human nature to afraid as well. However, in the Bible, in many many times it says, "Do not be afraid." It also says, "Be afraid of people who are trying to destroy the soul, not the body, but the soul." I know the passage actually. That's 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 actually in the the New Testament, and uh, he's absolutely right about that. Dedhide, what do you want the people here in the United States, the knights and the daughters of Vartan, along with the rest of the Armenian community, to know about what is happening there? Uh, I this is a very difficult time for Armenia, and this is um, deciding our country exists or no, will exist, continue to exist or no. And as I said before, uh, this is our avalanche. So everybody should know that we are fighting for the existence of the country and Armenia. Yeah, uh, 
հզոր թշնամու դեմ են կրվում շատ շատ հզոր նկատյունեմ ոչ մեն ադրբեջանին այլ հատկապես թուրքիային ուրեմն մենք չենք կարող այս մեր դժվարությունը թողնել միայն արցախահայության մեր բանակի եւ մեր ժողովրդին պիտի ողջ հայությունը ոտքի կանգնի մենք պիտի 10 միլիոնով կրվենք Uh, and I would like to say that today we are fighting against a very powerful enemy and it's not just Artsakh, it's the whole Armenians, including Armenia as well. And I would say we should not fight just with uh, people in this area, but with 10 million Armenians. Around the world. Around the world. The world mm-hmm. yes. What about the children there in Artsakh, Dear Aram? What have you seen of them and... and- what about their own resilience savok sarti gitek vor ais paterazmum yerekhaner zohvetsin yerekhaner viraborvetsin yev himnakanum yerekhanere gtnvum en undergroundum apastaranerum bayts menk amen inch anum enk menk tsnovneres metseres vor ais paterazmu veshnakanuren rutsenk yev ais paterazmi hokse Unfortunately, during this war, we also had children wounded and killed. And uh, most right now, children are in safe shelters underground. And we would do anything to make sure that this war is not continuing till next generation to finish it once and forever. որ մեծորյան ընտանիքի աջակցությամբ մենք կարողացանք շատ ապահով ապաստարան կառուցել բերդ քաղաքում որը հուլիսին ռմբակոցության տակ է եւ այդտեղ գոնե մի թաղամասի երեխաներ հուսով են որ ապահով են եւ ցանկանայի կոչանել որ մենք նաեւ մյուս քաղաքներում եւ հատկապես Արցախում մենք շատ ապաստարաններ կառուցենք I also would like to add and thank uh, Medzorian family because with their help we were able to build one safe shelter in Bert town where um, the one district is able to protect, uh, find a shelter during bombing. And I hope that many people can help to build or renovate these kind of shelters around the Armenia nearby the borders, for safety, our nation, America. We were talking about the children a moment ago. I have seen photographs that were amazing to me of children over these last couple of weeks down underground in shelters in what looks in some cases like caves. Some of them are huddled under blankets. Some of them are taking classes. But the thing that amazed me the most was that many of them, because they were together, had smiles on their faces. They were happy in the fact that they were all together. That that has to be incredibly touching. Yes, import salutunis karogemase. Polisian patrasmi jamanak im yerekhanere nuimpes gatnavumein mezorianeri kovmits karusvats apastaranum vorte khavakvelein bazmati vail yerekhaner thagamak ait hatvatsi. Եվ որ արդեն Քրակոսներ վերջացան եւ պիտի երեխաներին տուն տանեին իմ իմ երեխաներն ասում են որ մի քիչ էլ մնան, որովհետեւ այնտեղ իրար հետ էին, խաղում էին, 
այնտեղ ծնողներ են զրա չեն բարկանում եւ թույլ են տալիս որ տարբեր բաներով զբաղվեն եւ երեխաները քով քովի շատ ուրախ են եւ շատ հաճախ ծնողներն ասում են որ հարսանիք է կամ խնջույք է եւ հրավարություն է սալյուտներ են խփում որպեսզի կրակոցի ձայնից չվախենան from our own experience that happened in july in davos region during the shelling children went to the shelter and this was renovated by medzorian family now from his own experience children staying in the shelter they were all together in one place and they were able to play together so parents would not say anything don't do this or don't do that so children were happy to play together and they can they could do anything they wanted to and after the shelling was over and everybody was invited to go back to their homes his children were asking is it okay to stay here a little bit longer because we can still play together and we want et salutnel asaf mi vartyan haravot tsnognere Very often, parents would explain the children that the bombing and shelling is um, is like firework. So children do not really understand what's going on. They were thinking it's some kind of firework outside, mm-hmm. not real bombing, because they are children. They don't understand. But that is how parents were explaining them. Kohar, is there anything you would like to ask him? I feel so overwhelmed. Hearts missing is hearts and I'm just talking about Espahin and once matches to him that we're talking about to get hard what's me coming here a host of host meng. Banache man maybe ահաջողությունով մենք մեր միակ տպատակն է որ հաղթանակած վերադառնանք David I said I have no question I just am praying and pray to God that everybody is coming back no more blood to be spilled and he said that we will be back as winners My special thanks to Father Aram Mirzoyan of St. Hovhannes Armenian Church in Bert speaking to us directly from Artsakh One other note regarding this conversation with Father Aram, if I may. The arrangement for the interview that you just heard was made very hastily. It was just after 11 p.m. in Artsakh when Father Aram contacted me after I had earlier asked him if he would grant an interview for this podcast. He said he'd be glad to. But could we please do it right there and then? While I asked him to hold the line for just a moment, I immediately contacted our liaison in Yerevan, Kohar Palyan, and asked if she would join me for the interview and translate Father Aram's words into English in real time for our non-Armenian speaking listeners. Well, despite the very late hour, as I said it was after 11 by then, and no advanced notice, Kohar could not have been more gracious. She said, "Of course," and within a very few minutes, our conversation with Father Aram had begun. Shad Shunragalichun Gohar, yes, Shad Yarachtabaten. News coverage of a war is nothing new. There were print journalists covering the British march from Boston to Lexington and Concord back in 1775. Four score years later, during the Civil War, the Telegraph enabled newspaper correspondents to send their stories out from the scene of action in time to make the next edition. As the 19th century became the 20th, 
New staffs grew in numbers, as did the need for foreign coverage, especially after the outbreak of the First World War. Indeed, the Armenian genocide itself was reported in the pages of the New York Times and other major news publications. By the time America entered World War II in December of 1941, radio correspondents had joined their print counterparts in reporting the war directly from the battlefield, as well as from the skies. Then came television, satellite technology, and new generations of journalists. Indeed, the world had become smaller, but getting the story, getting it right, and getting it out quickly is still the correspondent's mission. The Artsakh War during these last four weeks has not been an easy conflict to cover. Perhaps it is part geography, part international politics, and at least in this country, having to compete for news coverage with a global pandemic, Supreme Court nomination, and a presidential election campaign, all happening at the same time. My Ararat Lodge brother Aram Arkun has been reporting on the war here on the home front as well as helping direct the newspaper's foreign coverage as assistant editor of the Armenian Mira Spectator. Aram, for you, what have been the major challenges in trying to cover this war, which is so many thousands of miles away, and how difficult is it to separate the facts from the rumors and the outright falsehoods? Well, that's a good question, David. Uh, and for us, our coverage for the mirror now has to be divided into two, in a sense, because we have both the weekly print version as well as a website, which we're trying to update pretty quickly. And maybe the one of the greatest challenges is that things move very quickly in the war. So that, let's say, a ceasefire is announced and... You know, we might put in a notice about the ceasefire and then an hour later, the ceasefire is no longer uh, valid or has already been broken and clearly is not uh, working. So one thing is the quickly moving nature of events. Two is the difficulty because the information about military actions is tightly controlled on both sides. And so it's very hard to get accurate information about, let's say, what piece of territory has been lost or taken. And so there have been back and forths, but, um, you know, this is hard to have confirmed information. From what I understand, uh, sometimes Azeris would, according to the Armenian uh, reports, would like sneak behind Armenian lines and and use a geomark or something to a GPS location to show that they're on a certain bit of territory and claim that it's in Azerbaijani hands. But actually it's not, and they have to quickly leave there again because it just happens to be sort of vacant at the moment and without strategic significance. So that's one thing. Also the numbers of, of dead, uh, the numbers of soldiers and civilians killed very hard. Um, uh, Azeris don't release uh, uh, full figures, and Armenians believe that, you know, for example, I think uh, the estimate today was something like 6,459 uh, Azeri military casualties. But Azerbaijan officially, you know, will give uh, very small figures or not even release actually full figures. And of course, Armenians are Armenia releases figures, 
and we have, uh, but we have no way of knowing. You know, there's no way of really verifying anything. We have to rely on, you know, whatever's being said. So this is a second difficulty: the difficulty of getting um, accurate information. What are the lessons that you have learned as a journalist and those of you at the Mira and for that matter, the other media outlets here in the United States? What have you learned from the most recent, obviously, the, the skirmishes in Tavush during the summer from the four day war in 2016 and even going back to the early 1990s? Technology is obviously a lot better today. And so perhaps it may be easier for you to get information or is it? And what are the, the major challenges? Well, I think it's still, you know, not that easy when you're actually in the middle of a war, unless you yourself, you know, have war correspondence to get information from the front. And even if you have war correspondence, presumably what they can tell you is limited. Now, I can tell you that possibly we have one person who, you know, writes for us who was going to volunteer uh He's an American Armenian, and he was going to volunteer the army. But, of course, I haven't heard anything from him, and I don't know whether he's actually in the army or – and if he is, whether presumably he couldn't uh, correspond with us. We do have another correspondent who has been Yerevan, but, you know, that's not on – that's only indirectly uh, involved. Uh, he can only provide information about what's going on in Armenia proper or the Republic of Armenia. So this is, you know, I think increased technology on the one hand does permit certain things. You know, we have um, better, if we want to use it, you know, on the website, there are videos that are being now regularly issued uh, on the Armenian side and also on the Azerbaijani side. Um, another, uh, I, I would say one other, uh, one difference in terms of collecting information on this is that today a lot of things, you know, can are released very quickly on Twitter and other social media. And I don't think it was the case even, you know, four years ago. And definitely not, of course, in the 1990s. Then it was really difficult. Of course. Uh, we were still using, you know, uh, I put out a... Uh, some kind of weekly news digest in the 1990s, and uh, it was we, you know, there were e there was email, but in Armenia, oftentimes they were still using. Uh, in the very beginning, I think they were using like teletype, right? And and then after that, they were using uh, fax, and the f fax or teletype would come out very hard to read. It would be all blurry, and then and I'd have to, and it would all be. You know, and usually in Armenian, sometimes in Russian. Uh, so we'd have to figure out what they're saying, summarize it. And it was very limited, the number of sources. Now it's, you know, much more uh, accessible and very quick. Uh, you know, we'd have limited access sometimes, or they would have limited access, if I remember correctly. I think sometimes, you know, there were only certain times where they had the electricity where they could actually send us the, the news. So I now it's that different. Well. Yeah, they, yeah. they would have maybe a few hours of electricity per day. Yes. And, and I, go yeah, ahead. So it couldn't work. So now we, you know, there's interesting things um, on, on Twitter. There's uh, something which is uh, like a formal press center called Armenian Unified Info Center, which provides for Armenians uh, the Armenian government republic of armenia i guess this point of view and that combines information from 
uh, a lot of posts from the Armenian Ministry of Defense, as well as uh, from you know human rights defender, as well as from foreign ministry and so forth. So that's a quick, easy way to to find information. They even sometimes provide graphics and things. How many um, of your how many people do you think are getting their news about the war from social media, whether it be Twitter, Facebook, Instagram? any of the many resources out there? I would think quite a few, if not most. Well, not most. I think it takes a little... Uh, the thing is that it takes also extra effort to collect this information. For example, you know, about the Syrian mercenaries, there are Western uh, journalists who are sort of off the beaten track, and they were the first ones to provide evidence uh, sort of confirming the participation of these Syrian Mercenaries. So you would have to find, you know, this person's uh, Twitter account or other social media account, and then follow this person, and then you would have to find like five or six other uh, such people. So there are people you can do it, and somebody who's really devoted to it and has the time, of course, can go to the sources. And what you know we do, I guess, is amalgamate. A lot of these sources in the weekly we, uh, version of our paper will have like a, a summary version of what's gone on using all kinds of sources. And then and also, you know, if you look at a lot of now we have there's an additional element because there are journalists, Western journalists uh, who are writing in English or uh, on the front or reporting or at least from Sepanagir and Artsakh are reporting from there. And there's some, and there are many who report from Azerbaijan or Georgia. And so those people now release stuff, you know, with footage in English, you can look at that, but there's also a lot of stuff in, you know, Armenian and Turkish and in Azerbaijani. And so let's say major news companies or services will use some of the same sources and they'll make something into an article. What's different also now is that let's say that let's say that uh Secretary of State Pompeo makes a statement about Karabakh. Immediately let's say this the state usually it's the State Department will put it online or make it accessible. Uh and even if it's a campaign or or some kind of rally or something or a radio show interview or whatever. So then a major news outlet, like an American news outlet, will just take that, take a clip of it, and and present it then to its viewers or readers. Right. So now we can do the same thing. Before, we would have to uh, have a reporter or somebody there, and it would take time otherwise for the official version to get out. But now news moves fast. So now we can get out stuff as fast as they put it out. So I can put something out at the same time now, if I happen to have seen it as, you know, CBS or some other company. And my version is just as good as theirs. And in fact, sometimes a few times I put out stuff on our website and we've gotten, um, more hits or we come up first in the Google rating compared to like the original site. Like I put out a statement from the Biden campaign about Karabakh. And when I put it out, our statement on the mere spectator.com website actually showed up first for a while in 
Google searches. So I put it up right away. Same thing with other things. So it's a different, the playing field somewhat is somewhat leveled on the one hand, uh, but how to get your news, like if you're following things, there's just so much stuff to do that it would, you know, even I don't have time to constantly look at everything. Uh, so I think it would be hard uh, to sort of swim in the sea of, of the internet and find uh, enough to get a full picture. So what you have to do is, so in a way, the service that newspapers provide is now, whether it's the Mirror or any other newspapers, to kind of uh, take all these different sources and make it a, uh, more easily accessible. Aside from that, I say I would say we have we do other functions, which is we have our own writers. As I said, we have at least a few people who write for us from Armenia. We have people who write for us from Paris uh, when there are demonstrations in in Europe. Uh, so we have photos and demonstration things so um and uh, and also i should point out that uh this war because it's going on now for several weeks you know has reverberations throughout the world and so covering it we cover not just the conflict itself but also it's um manifestations in different parts of the world. Well, that's what I so, wanted to get into next, if, if I may. I, I beg your pardon. Please, yeah. There sure. has been a tremendous amount of visible and vocal frustration, as I'm sure you know, here in the United States by uh, Armenians from coast to coast who have been very disappointed or outright angry at the lack of news coverage of the war and any attempt to put it into sort of, into some sort of context and uh, I've actually had some tete-a-tete, shall we say, with uh, Armenian friends of mine who have expressed this frustration. And, and one of the things that I do tell them, and some accept it and some don't, is that, uh, you know, here it is, October of 2020. Yes, there is this war going on in Artsakh between Armenia and Azerbaijan, but that is competing for news coverage and for news time with a global pandemic and everything connected to that, a U.S. presidential election and all the different facets of that, a Supreme Court nomination that is uh, coming up now, all of that being condensed into a very short period of time. And therefore, the Armenian situation is not going to get a tremendous amount of coverage. And as you know, we've had marches and protests. I know in California, they've actually gone to the headquarters of CNN and other news outlets to CBS. You can understand the frustration, Aram, but really under the circumstances, what can they do? Well, I think that's a very good point. I think that... uh very likely Azerbaijan chose and Turkey chose this point in time specifically for these advantages that it allowed them to uh, because they knew our news media would be focused on all these other issues yes yes yeah. these are uh, not just us but the rest of the not just the United States but France and and Russia are all you know involved in other things I mean this is a uh, a very complex period of time uh, throughout the world. So I think that this probably was a very opportune time for that reason. On the other hand, I think that um, Armenians have been able to uh, bring back the issue to the attention of major media. Those big demonstrations in L.A. 
you know, when they basically ended up forcing CNN to put the issue back on the on its on its ticker, uh, it forced uh, the issue when the individuals who are doing the <laughs> news making decisions have to deal with you know huge crowds. Uh, Hundred thousand in on, Los Angeles, yeah. I believe. Yeah, shame on shame on CNN. Then then it has it makes a difference. The L.A. Times, um, which is does not have you know full international coverage it doesn't know it doesn't normally send its own reporters everywhere because it doesn't have that level of, of of staffing it's not like new york times unfortunately as you know as a side note you know u.s media especially newspapers have had to cut down because of budget issues oh major cuts uh, yes so so this has affected international coverage as well because many Newspapers, medium and even fairly large newspapers, rely on on uh, other news services like AP, the major ones, AP, Reuters, and so forth. But LA Times, uh, you know, ended up sending a reporter and a photographer, and justified it by saying that, you know, when you have a hundred thousand people in the streets, and many of these are our readers, this is not just a local. Uh, this is not an international issue alone. It's also a local issue because. It affects the families or, uh, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of, of our readers. So they realize that they have to cover it. And so the demonstrations, I think, bring, you know, focus to uh, many of these media companies. And I think they're a good thing to do. I think the media, we have to be frank, you know, all have their priorities. And some of it is concerned with, of course, revenue. There are other Priorities, you know, when you have BBC, uh, we just published a, a letter of critique from the Armenian Rights Council in the Mirror this week, and the BBC has been consistently biased uh, in favor of Azerbaijan and its coverage. And why is that? Well, you know, we can guess, just like Great Britain, BBC, you know, it's the issue of petrol dollars, and historically that economic issue can have an effect on news coverage as well. So our, yeah, in short, uh, you are very correct that this is a difficult time for getting attention, but I think there are things that Armenian Americans can do. They can write uh, not just to their congressman, but to their local media outlets. They can also write editorials, uh, I mean letters to the editor or editorial commentary, and if enough of them do, then it's hard for those newspapers to ignore it and especially in areas if you know you're living in an area like uh, in the Boston area and Los Angeles in parts of New Jersey and New York where there's a substantial number of Armenians or in Detroit or mm-hmm. even Chicago and Philadelphia well you know you have and you can mobilize enough fellow Armenians to write to your local media if they're not outlets if they're not covering these issues well then I think you have a good chance of success you don't just have to do demonstrations, but the demonstrations do have an impact up to a point. There's a point where, you know, you can't push it further. Um, you know, there may not, if you have a small demonstration again and again, and it's just you and no one else, it's not going to make a difference. But if you have the demonstration with either with large numbers or with very prominent people, whether politicians or pub public figures, that will also attract a lot of public attention and, and, hopefully get you the kind of coverage that you want. 
Someone said to me the other day, they said, well, I'm sure that once the election is over, that we're going to start seeing a lot more coverage about Armenia. And I said, are you sure about that? And, and uh, he said, yeah, absolutely. He says, why? Well, there won't be anything more to talk about with the election. And I'm like, well, that's if you, that's if you think it's all going to be resolved on November the 3rd, you know. Uh, let, let, don't hold your breath on that one. Is it a time to be optimistic or is the reality of the situation that this is going to be a long struggle? Of course, no one really knows. I don't think it's a time to be optimistic. I think, unfortunately, the situation is a very difficult one, and it could be ending up as a war of attrition. On the other hand, there seem to be a little bit more efforts at international mediation. Ultimately, there are only two ways that this is going to end. And, you know, one is through a major, major military victory on one side or the other that forces um, a halt because one of the sides can no longer uh, bear this and is willing to surrender whatever it takes to stop the fighting. And the other would be a very powerful international intervention. And right now, what it is is, you know, Armenia is able to hold off these attacks and doing quite well considering the amazing amount of firepower it's it's dealing with but you know at a huge cost a huge cost of both manpower and uh and uh, a huge economic cost so i don't know obviously armenia will try to do it as long as it has to but um if there this is if this goes on for a long time you know this, the longer it goes the more difficult Armenia's situation will be because comparatively it has, you know, fewer resources economically and manpower-wise than Azerbaijan. So that's one thing. As far as the mediation efforts go so far, you know, we all expect that Russia should have been forcefully intervening. And presumably there will be a point where um, the if Azerbaijan makes great inroads that, you know, that will, uh, Russia will not want a full victory of Azerbaijan. But on the other hand, Russia, you know, there's a cost even for Russia to intervene, number one. And number two, it presumably, you know, the folk wisdom is that it wants to see Armenia humbled a bit so that it kind of um, agrees to all kinds of Russian uh, demands behind the scenes. Now I've so, had a chance. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So the point is that it's not, uh, I would be optimistic in the sense that Armenians are doing okay. They haven't folded, they're, you know, holding their own, but um, it's unclear how long this could go. And it is really, I also agree with the um, presentation of this by many Armenians that it is an existential struggle. It, if Armenia and Artsakh, if Artsakh loses, and Artsakh is taken over, its territories are fully taken over by Azerbaijan. That itself, you know, will lead to ethnic cleansing in, in that territory. And if, you know, there are certain indications of uh, a will to try to make this into a broader conflict that would encompass Armenian Armenia's territory proper as opposed to the Republic of Artsakh, there were, you know, some 
missiles and bombings on Armenian territory like Vartenis and also, um, you know, in areas around Mehri in the south. And um, there was even allegedly uh, one report of of uh, some kind of missile or shelling in Ordubad in Nakhichevan. That's very, very unusual because that's that may, in other words, some of these things may be ways to set the stage for uh, the widening of the conflict. I don't, I kind of doubt it. There's no reason for Armenia to want this conflict to widen and no reason for Nahichawan or Ordubad to be involved. But there would be a reason if Turkey, it would be a good excuse for Turkey to enter the conflict directly. In other words, the there could be, you know, the southern part of Armenia if that was uh, becomes a part of a target of of the war, that's the end of Armenia. Because if Turkey and Azerbaijan try to occupy that, then you know Armenia will be cut off and from Iran and from much of the right. one route to the outside world, and that would potentially be you know a way towards the end of Armenia proper. And such so a scenario is set- not is not uh, outside the realm of possibility. Correct. So this is what's so worrisome that, you know, and why this this situation is so important. I cannot even imagine. Have you had a chance to talk to friends of yours or relatives uh, in Armenia about what everyday life is like for them now? Well, it's very, I mean, people there, even more so than, you know, many of us here are, are, focus completely on, on the situation. Mm-hmm. There's also an additional factor that many people who have the ability are, are being kind and generous and making their, you know, parts of their own homes available to refugees. Let's not forget my that. My cousin is doing tens that. Of thousands. Yes. So is um, my uh, wife's aunt and other people. So this is something that, you know, there. this is uh, a major uh, secondary burden, so to speak, on Armenia to have to uh, support who knows how many, at least 30,000, some people may say even, you know, double that amount or more of mostly women and children and uh, and people who might have health issues. So these people have to be taken care of. And then, of course, the population is trying to mobilize as much as it can because, you know, it, this is many of them either have relatives who are fighting in the armies uh, and also they understand very close, you know, clearly, you know, what the implications of, of these battles are. So no question that this is something that is, uh, and the one good thing is, you know, maybe that it brings together Armenian society, both here and, and in Armenia uh, in support of, of, of the, existence of very existence of Armenia itself. I think it is. I really is. And you know, one of the, you've probably seen countless photographs of the conflict over the last couple of weeks, but the ones that, that have really touched me and you may have seen them yourself are photographs of little children all together in some of the shelters in Artsakh and the children are smiling. They're, they're laughing because they're together and that was something that uh, Der Aram Mizorian, who we heard earlier in this podcast, had mentioned to me. You know, they are together, and uh, so they're. And, and some of them are not even 
they're they're seeing they're hearing the the explosions and the artillery outside and they think it's fireworks but those pictures are just so very moving and you know we can't forget that this is uh, this affects the children as much as everybody else they're going to have to live with the outcome of this conflict whatever happens so it certainly is another generation i mean one could argue that you know the last major fighting was in the 90s and then you had several decades where yes there were you know border uh, snipering and uh, smaller incidents, except for you know, to until 2016. But this is really you know the biggest outright burst of of real war that um, that most of these that of this new the newest youngest generation has seen, and so it will leave its imprint on that generation as well. No question about it, and also no doubt it's going to. You know the outcome of this war will definitely have an impact on on Armenian politics and domestic society too. One good thing, just as a, a you know, to add to what you were saying about the shelters, is that at least I think in Armenia and Artsakh, it was um, the signs that there could be an outbreak of fighting again appeared clear, and and hopefully, as far as I know, they made as best as they can some preparations for it so that is something that puts them in a better condition compared to you know earlier uh times and certainly better than the april war where afterwards we found out there were a lot of uh flaws perhaps both organizational and perhaps due to corruption uh, of you know what happened in the army and so those things at least hopefully were corrected and i'm sure there'll be retrospective analysis of what happened what was done rightly and what was done incorrectly but um i think compared to the you know past situation armenians are uh, were at least a little better prepared and and their shelters and you know places of refuge uh, were also in better shape but yeah it's moving it's definitely emotional to see little children as well as the elderly who are stuck down there mm-hmm. and and let alone the horrific i think the other thing that affects people psychologically and not in a good way are the horrific videos and pictures of of uh, at least twice now of of beheadings yes and um this is something that shocks us i mean we almost wonder whether could, could this be true could this be you know made up but it seems like uh it's been verified at least uh, one of the incidents so far and uh this is a really hard to believe this for us you know armenians who have uh heard so much uh, of such barbarism you know whether it's in the genocide or later in the um in Sumgayat and and Baku 30 years ago, you know, it's still hard to digest that people can dehumanize you or hate you to the extent of being able to torture or behead. I mean, this is something which um, is out of the realm of ordinary uh, society and and, uh, existence. And it's, it's a horrible thing, I think, just to uh, to learn that these things are happening itself has a profound effect on on you. It certainly does. 
One of our former U.S. Supreme Court Chief Justices, the late Earl Warren, had once said that the one thing that we learn from history is that we do not learn, or at least not enough. Aram Arkin from the Armenian Mirror Spectator, thank you so very much for speaking to us. We'll, of course, be following uh, the coverage, uh, both uh, digitally and in print, as uh, this war in Artsakh that affects so many, both there and here, continues. And, of course, we pray for an early end to the violence. Thank you once again. The best of luck. And uh, thank you again, my brother at Ararat Lodge. It was my pleasure. And I am very happy that you're continuing yourself to do this sort of uh, great uh, podcast uh, series, which is of interest to all of us. Thank you, Aram. Appreciate it. My special thanks to Aram Arkun, my brother from Ararat Lodge, assistant editor of the Armenian Mira Spectator. Finally, as the length of the Artsakh War now approaches one month with no immediate end in sight, here's the latest on how you, our Knights and Daughters of Vartan, can help. Our main fundraiser involves raising money for the Armenia Fund. Our Avaktivan is spearheading this effort and has donated $100,000 to help ease the suffering in Artsakh and purchase essentials for the victims' survival there. So much more is still needed as this war is still raging. You can donate directly to the Armenia Fund through the Knights and Daughters of Vartan by going to our website, kofv.org slash helparmenia. The Diaspora for Frontline Families Fund, established through Ararat Lodge in Boston, provides annual support for the children of those Armenian soldiers who gave their lives defending their homeland. In many cases, the father in uniform who died was the family's only breadwinner. This support continues until the child reaches his or her 18th birthday. You can learn more about the Diaspora for Frontline Families Fund and donate to it by going to kofv.org slash helparmenia or kovcasp.org. That's kovcasp with a c dot org. I'll have links to all these websites on the Talking Vartan Facebook page, so if you haven't had a chance to write it down yet, don't worry. Finally, there is the Halo Trust. That is Halo, H-A-L-O. The Knights and Daughters of Vartan are proud of their sponsorship of this group, whose purpose is to rid Artsakh of landmines and other deadly explosives that are on the ground or underground. According to the Halo Trust, Artsakh has one of the world's highest numbers of landmine-related accidents. Sadly, at least one quarter of all of the victims are children. All donations to the Halo Trust will be matched, so please give what you can and help to rid Artsakh of landmines and other such deadly explosives. Please visit kofv.org slash halo-trust-support. Again, don't worry, links to all of the donation resources will be on the Talking Vartan Facebook page. Please help us help Artsakh and Armenia, and thank you. For the very latest Knights and Daughters news, there are plenty of great resources at your disposal, starting with our website at kofv.org. If social media is your thing, we've got you covered. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and on YouTube. Please watch your email for newsletters, which will keep you up to date on our fundraising efforts, as well as various projects and other activities that the Knights and Daughters of Vartan are involved in. 
All of our media resources, including our digital and print publication, Avaraid, are managed by our communications liaison in Armenia and, for this episode, fellow podcaster, Gohar Palyan. You can reach Kohar directly at knightsofvartan at gmail.com. Speaking of reaching, you can always reach me, Asped David Midzorian, at talkingvartanpodcast at gmail.com. Say that again, talkingvartanpodcast at gmail.com. And I'd love to hear from you. Well, that will do it for this edition of Talking Vartan. Thanks to my guests, Father Aram Mirzorian of St. Hovanes Armenian Church in Tavush Province in Armenia, and assistant editor of the Armenian Mira Spectator, and my Ararat Lodge brother, Aram Arkun. Thanks also to Kohar Balian for her participation during my conversation with Father Aram. My gratitude, as always, to Mal Barsamian for our theme music, Lorki Lorki, from his album, One Take, Armenian Dance Songs. Talking Vartan, the Knights and Daughters of Vartan podcast, is the exclusive property of the Knights and Daughters of Vartan and Asped David Medzorian. Any use of this program without the expressed written permission of both parties is prohibited. It was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who said, Everybody can be great because everybody can serve. Thank you for your service to the Knights and Daughters of Vartan. I'm Asped David Medzorian of Aradat Lodge No. 1 here in Boston. Shonoragalem, Sireli Paregamner. <laughs> <laughs>